0: So we're carrying on with one another, Um, and the sort of catchphrase I've got that I'm going to keep repeating, because I sort of want it to get into my skin, is we're all in this together, so what does love look like? We're all in this together, so what does love look like? Uh, David Lawrence, in his discipleship series last year, for those of you who were part of that, um, quoted John Wesley, there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. He went on to say that solitary religion is not found in the gospel of Christ. Holy solitaries is, not a, is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. And it's interesting isn't it, that in the beginning of time when God created mankind that it is not good for man to dwell alone. I know that was talking about a man and a woman creation but there's something built into mankind that needs each other. And the church is the place where that really is exemplified. So Hmm. that's the challenge. So last week, Marky spoke about love one another from Romans uh, 12. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honouring each other. And he quoted John Blanchard, his definition of love. And I don't know whether you remember it, but I think it bears repeating. So I'm going to say it again, because it was very challenging and I don't find it comfortable actually thinking about it. I think, am I like this? Is this what we've got to live up to? And uh, yeah, I find that challenging. So, this was it. John Blanchard said um, whatever a person says about you, whatever a person does about you, however ugly they may be as far as you are concerned, whatever harm they might do to you, love is that you will act and speak to and about them in ways that are deliberately calculated to bring about their greatest blessing and their highest good. I failed that this week. (laughs) I had to say sorry. So this is an encouragement, actually, to be really real. What does love look like (laughs) for us? God's people. Israel failed miserably, thinking that God was there just for them, when actually he was there to bless them, to bless others. And it's the same with us. So, we're in this together. What does love look like? So, Mark has read 1 Corinthians 12. And I think it was written, I'm, I'm no scholar in that sense, but it's kind of written with a bit of tongue-in-cheek, almost some humour that Paul is writing. Oh, I can paint a higher here, this kind of thing. It's really quite graphic. So, I thought, well, there's three things I want to emphasise from this passage in 1 Corinthians The first is that it's about inferiority and superiority. Foot and hand, eye and ear. Apparently, more than half of the bones in your body are found in your hands and feet. Is that correct, doctors? There you go. There are 27 in each hand and 26 in each foot. And the way they're arranged is remarkably similar. But your foot is more often than not hidden in a sock or shoe, whereas your hand is very prominent. In fact, often with ornaments on it, if you're a woman. I've got a ring on my finger, but uh, I don't blanch my nails, actually. Um, Feet are not particularly dexterous, whereas hands are very dexterous. A foot has good feeling, but it's not communi- used very much to communicate to others. So, for example, in the meeting we had last week as a church, we didn't say, all those in favour, raise your feet. <laughs> um, but the hand is used to communicate with others. It touches, it feels, it's used in communication. But both are necessary to function well. Now, what about the eye? It's apparently, I can understand, it's apparently the weakest part of the body that's exposed. Um... It's very small, but the ear is actually quite big. It's larger than you think. The eye, I thought, I'll look up adverts to do with eyes. And there's a plethora of advertisements about spectacles. Joe, you'll know all about that. You know, things to make you look great, this kind of thing. And I tried to find one about an attractive hearing aid. They're pink. They try to disappear from sight. Because kind of the eyes, the ear isn't kind of attractive in that sense. It's all about the eyes. Um, obviously, your eyes are at the front, so they're very obvious. But and ears are at the side, but there's not a lot of poetry about ears. But there's quite a lot about eyes, even in the Song of Solomon. So it's, I'm just trying to compare these things because you kind of think Paul was thinking in these ways, trying to get us thinking about what's inferior and what's superior. But the ears are absolutely vital, aren't they? for balance, for hearing. People feel really cut off if they can't hear. And last year, when I had a bit of a sabbatical, I went to an art class, which was thoroughly enjoyable. And one of the things I learned is that there are several errors that we, as ordinary people, have, if we try drawing and we're not skilled at it. And one is that we get proportions wrong. For example, most people think that a nose is really long, if you look at someone face-on. It's actually not that long. It's as wide as it's long, if you measure down from the little bit in your eye there to the top of the nose. It's interesting, isn't it? When everyone starts drawing it, they think, oh, it's a really big thing, and it's not. Um, eyes are normally drawn far too big. Because actually, when we look at people, we look at their eyes, so we think they're big. They're not, they're really quite small. Whereas ears are actually quite big. Oh, now everyone's doing it with their pencils. Okay. <laughs> if you've got a wide nose, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> where ears actually are quite big and they're in a different place on your head than you think now if you get your um, song sheet it's there for a reason and have a look at these these two guys so Alistair on the the left as you look at it if you were drawing that face side on I'll bet you wouldn't beat the ear that far back it's actually quite a long way back in the head And if you look at Johnny, would you put the ears below his eyes? Most people put them high up the head. And actually your eyes are about halfway down your head. And most people put them near the top. And it's all to do with our perception. It's all to do with how we see. And the art teacher, who I thoroughly recommend, nice guy, he kept saying, art is not about drawing, it's about seeing. Is that right? I'm looking at artists. And a lot of what we draw is based on assumptions. And I suggest that a lot of the way we view people and view gifts and view things within the church is based on assumptions. And we have to be careful how we view one another. We're in this together, so what does love look like? I've been reading Terry Waite's autobiography, which Mark Corcoran kindly lent me, and... uh, thoroughly enjoying it. So Terry Waite was a negotiator, uh, but he was taken hostage himself for uh, 1,763 days. He was fully aware of the number, I think. Um, And when he realised that actually he he thought he was going to meet the hostages, and then discovered that actually he was taken hostage, and that was quite a big revelation for him. Uh, A shock, terrible shock. And he decided that he made three resolutions when he discovered this was true. And they were, I'll have no regrets, no sentimentality, and no self-pity. That's the only way I'm going to survive. No regret, no sentimentality, sentimentality and no self-pity. And I commend those resolutions in the way we look at each other the way we perceive each other and we help one another. Because it takes away the kind of personal preference stuff. So Terry Waite, when he, had, he was suddenly told one time, he was in solitary and all this thing, tied up with chains, and they came to him and said, you've got five hours to live. Um, anything you want to do? Can we give you a meal? He said, no, I'm not interested. I'll have a cup of tea. They said, you can write one letter. So he decided to write a letter to a lot of people, including his wife and children, and the Archbishop, I think, was included, and some friends. And it's not a very long letter. I'll read it to you. Sorry about the uh, sound. Is it better if I stand somewhere else? No? Okay. This is the last letter I shall write. I've been told that I have a short time to live and that I can send this message to you. I'm sorry my life is ending in this way and I'm not afraid to die but I don't want to die without you knowing that I'm well and in good spirits. Try not to be too sad. I've done my best and can die with a clear conscience. Also, try not to be bitter against my captors. They've suffered much in their lives. I love you all. God bless and goodbye, Terry. Remarkable. He saw differently. He saw his captors not as people that were just evil right through. He saw people differently. Great. He'd seen what love looked like. Right, the next thing. So we've looked at inferiority, superiority. The next thing I want to look at is what is necessary and what, or important. And that again comes out in these scriptures. It says the more feeble are necessary and we bestow on the more abundant honour. And I was... Um, we had news a week or so ago that a good friend of ours from Reading had died. Um, he was called Roy Jones. Ever such a nice chap. He had a terrible stutter all his life. And he and his wife, Katie, they were very nice, but actually communication wasn't great, and so he was very shy, and not a kind of... He didn't kind of walk in his room and think, oh, there's Roy and Katie, you know, they are just a bit... Overlooked, if you like. But they were really solid in their faith, in their walk with God, and in their commitment to other people and the church. Really solid. And I met him when I went to a conference earlier this year. And he had terrible Parkinson's. Bless him. Um, It was really sad. It affected his energy, his memory, his orientation... And I had the privilege, actually, of just sitting next to him and thinking, I just want to be next to this guy. And do you know what? He blew me away. Because he worshipped. He worshipped. And during the conference, he says, anyone would like healing. He was one of the first people to say, yeah, pray for me. You know, you could hardly say it. Still open to God. Still saying, I'm here. But it was worshipping that struck me. He couldn't sit still, but he worshipped. And there were some great speakers at that conference, and I can remember some of the things they said. But one of the people that affected me the most was Roy Jones. He was a human being, not just a human doing. It's who he was. How do we see people? What inferior... People actually bring such blessing to our lives. What does love look like? And the third thing that Paul's is bringing through, I think, is that you suffer with each other and you honour each other. And Marky covered this, I think, very well last week. I want us now to turn to one Thessalonians. And you've all got a card, I hope. This one here. This is taken from 1 Thessalonians 5. On on the other side is a slide that David Lawrence used on his series on discipleship. So this is just taken from those slides he showed last year, and it's lots of verses about one one another and how we could support, encourage, rebuke, whatever, all the one another. So I just thought you'd like that, and you can put it near your desk or something. And on the back is an extract from 1 Thessalonians. But just before, I want you to read that, actually. But before then, just to say that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 starts with eight verses with instruction on how to live holy lives and also addresses a lot of misunderstanding about love from a cultural, if you like, a biological perspective, abuse standpoint. And then in verse 8 it says... But we don't write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself taught you how to love each other. Even so, we urge you do so even more. (laughs) And this letter to Thessalonians, we learn from chapter 1, verse 1, is written to the church of the Thessalonians. So what you're about to read was written to the whole church. It wasn't written to the leaders... Only It wasn't written to the adults only, or the children only, or the men only, or the women only, or the intelligent, or the ones that have a high profile or a low profile, or the ones that thought themselves important or not. It was written to the whole church. So this is for everybody. Includes me and includes you. And what I want to do is now have a bit of time out and take your time to read it. This is from the message version. Uh, There's one word in there which I'm not a great fan of, but I thought I can't change it without permission from the author. And it says freeloader. A freeloader. In the NIV, it says warn those that are idle. People are just on it for the ride. They're not really being honest about what they're about. So what I'd like us to do is take a minute, read that, and then I'm going to ask a couple of questions for you to talk about together. Okay. Right. I'd like you to, in 1s, 2s, 4s, 5s, whatever you like, and just ask two questions. I want you to be quite quick in answering them, so just discuss it quickly. How did God teach us to love one another? That's what we read in Thessalonians. So how did Jesus express his love for God? First question. Second question. How did God express his love for us? How did Jesus express his love for God? And how did God express his love for us? There isn't a right or wrong answer. Chat about it. You've got two minutes. Okay. Anyone like to uh, shout out an answer to part one or a, a possible answer? How did Jesus express his love for God? Thanking God, whatever happened. Great. Obedience. Obedience. Johnny had a great um, time. What came to my mind was the fact that you know, whatever Christ was, did, spoke, felt, expressed, was just his, his innate desire and pleasure was to do the Father's will. Okay, great. Yeah, to do his. Everything was to do his Father's will. Yeah. Spending time with him. Spending time with him, yeah. God of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. About what in particular? Uh, from, uh, will also yeah. <coughs> Giving over his will to God, great. Okay. How did God express his love for us? By sending Jesus. Sending Jesus, yeah. Gifts. Gifts. His his mercy, his love. Yeah, all the gifts he gives us. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Come and preach it, sister. <laughs> Ian's nodding his head the other way. <laughs> He's very encouraging. Okay. Gave, Spirit. Gave us the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay. Jesus um, knew exactly what he had to do throughout his whole life, and he stuck it out, and he knew he was going um, yeah. to die, and he Thank you. He stuck it out and persevered. Great. Great. Okay. I mean, there's lots, actually. And there's lots of scriptures. Um, but it's worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about. So, for example... Uh, to part one, how did Jesus express his love for God? I kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. John fifteen. And one John three sixteen, it's easy to remember that one, because it's like John three sixteen. By this we perceive the love of God, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And the word perceive is to, to know by experience and observation. So it's not just a kind of theoretical thing. So is that to do with feelings or obedience? (laughs) That's why I like Terry Waite's words. No regret, no sentimentality, no self-pity. It kind of, yeah, makes us see things differently. And you'll notice on the leaflet... I don't know the wretched thought I was mad, but I left the quote on the bottom for Alistair Brownlee: "Mum wouldn't have been happy if I'd left Johnny behind." <laughs> uh, I told there's quite a good ITV clip where they were interviewed, actually, after the race, and they were both it's about five minutes long, but uh, it's quite interesting if you want to watch it. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting that part of the reason why he loved his brother because he thought, well, Mum wouldn't be too happy if I ignored him. And there's something about that in the way God expects us actually to love each other. I don't particularly want to. <laughs> it's kind of the implication. Okay. He's talking about maintaining a relationship, isn't he? He knows he's got to go back home to his mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you must have children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So I've got a question now, which I don't want you to discuss necessarily. Uh, you can have a coffee if you like. But in view of the reading of this, do you see anyone who is a freeloader, idle, or a straggler, or exhausted? What are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? And what are you going to do about it? To me, that's what this is saying. It's fairly straightforward and fairly clear. Go and do likewise, (laughs) as God would say. So in summary, I think there's some don'ts and I think there's some do's. The don'ts are, don't think of yourself or others, as inferior or superior. Don't let perceptions tell you how important or necessary or big or inferior or less honourable or small you or others are. Do meditate on the mercy and love of God for you. And do learn to see and act on it. I was looking around this subject, and uh, I sometimes read some of John Piper's stuff, because I like it, he's very straightforward. And he said, if you have difficulty knowing how to love someone who's not your type of person, I suggest the best thing you can do, rather than screw yourself up, is just take some time to meditate on the love of God for you, And the forgiveness that you've had to receive. And the mercy he has shown you. And the way he's embraced you with all your faults. Me with all my faults. I don't want to keep using you, I mean us. And that's transformative. So this week, when I was struggling, because I knew I'd upset someone, one of the things I did is thank God, you've been so good to me. (laughs) I've got to put this right. Because you put me right. And it costs you everything. So, we're all in this together. So, what does love look like? And I'll leave that with you. I think, well, having said that, one little thing otherwise, we were talking stuff yesterday, and we had a men's breakfast here. And one of the things we talked about is it's important to include other people. So, with friends, in groups, men's breakfasts, whatever it is, but interaction. So that you flesh out these things in accountable and real and solid ways. And if you have difficulties, talk about them. Yeah. Good. We're in this together. So let's do it. And you'll notice the last phrase on your little card here is If he said it, he'll do it. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And uh, again, when I was... I said I was going to finish, wouldn't I? I'm not quite there. Um, I was worried about this talk, and worried about the series, in the sense that I don't want to screw ourselves up and think we've got to love people better, in a kind of, um, I don't know, as if it's all down to our energy. Actually, it's all about God, And how amazing he is and what he's done in our lives and how forgiving he is. And it's all about him. And if we don't know Jesus, then actually this is impossible. It is. It's impossible. Where else would you get church as a body that works if it isn't for the love of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives?